Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to market in a recession. Less Annoying CRM had a whole marketing campaign ready to go for earlier this year. And for a variety of reasons, COVID-19 made that basically not apply anymore. So we're trying to figure out a new plan. In particular, a challenge is that no one's really buying anything right now. That doesn't mean people aren't interested in learning about products, preparing for the future, but it's hard to get someone to actually pay for something. So what should that change about how we market? What are things we can do now to put ourselves in a position to come out of the gates stronger once all this is over? Uh, Before we get into any of that, let's give some updates on what we've been up to. Uh, So Rick, what's going on with you? Well, I converted my first beta users to actual clients this week using an automated uh, workflow, uh, no-code workflow um, for digital contracts. Nice. So they were already receiving some kind of service from you, but you hadn't like switched them so that you were the agent of record or whatever it's called so that their their insurance payments would go to you. Exactly. So um, I, I wanted to build the flow before I converted them and have each one of them go through it. I sent it out yesterday and I've, and, um, since, well, I didn't even send it. I, I added a line to a Google spreadsheet with the information that populates the contract and that, that Google spreadsheet zapped to PandaDoc, which, uh, based on the information, filled out a template on the insurance company's website on the insurance comp- the insurance company's letterhead, which then sent it to them to sign and sent it to me to sign. And four out of seven have already completed it without any wow. follow up. They didn't like reach out and no questions, nothing like that. That's awesome. That's really smart to use them to test that because I would have just been like, I'm so eager to get revenue. Let's do this manually for those people. But now you know the system works. Yes. Um, I, I still need to hook it up to the in-app experience so that that line getting added to the Google Sheet happens when they click a button in the app. But that that is trivial, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so um, I, uh, yeah, that, thank you for calling that out. I was, I kept questioning whether waiting, because I lost a couple of months of revenue on this by waiting um, as I was working through uh, different angles and, you know, I, uh, maybe not a couple months, but, but at least a month. Right. And like a few hundred dollars or something. No, like it's like a, it'll be like, once I get through all the beta users, it'll be like 500 bucks. Um, but whatever. Now, I do, th- I do think someone could take maybe the wrong message away from this, which is like, you could get away with doing this manually for a long time. So it's like, don't wait to launch your business until everything's automated. But since that flow is a big part of what you're offering, you, and, you know, it was worth testing. And like, I'm not, at, I don't, it has to do with risks, um, opportunities, and then like key assumptions that you need to, to validate. And in this case, like cash is not a risk for me. Like running out of cash is not a risk. Um, so I don't need money to come in right away. To um, the assumption, I, I was pretty confident that I could sit someone down and have them manually fill out a form by calling them. What I wasn't sure if they would is if they would self serve and mm-hmm. and follow through via an email. And I, that was really the assumption that I needed to test, which as a core business model assumption. 
and validate. And now that I have, it makes me feel a lot more confident about the viability of my overall business model. And yeah, that, that costs me 500 bucks. But for me, that 500, that, that proving that validation, proving that assumption out was worth $500. Gotcha. So the, the lesson here is y- you needed to learn something and you, you sacrificed revenue to do it. Not everything about a business needs to be automated. And so you waited to have it automated before you really launched your business. That's not what happened here. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and I think like, uh, there were times where I like, I just wanted to be able to say like an, like my ego got to me a little bit. I was like, I wanted to say I had paying customers, but then when I, when I sat down and said, do I need to, why, why should I, shouldn't I do this? I constantly came back to, no, no, learning, learning right now at this stage of the business is far more important than a dollar. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that was a big win. Um, I'm, I, I'm optimistic that, uh, that number will get to six or seven by the weekend. Um, and then, uh, I'll go from there. So it's really exciting. I'm also, uh, related to leg up health. I'm having, um, some breakthroughs as you know, since like, uh, I can't remember when we recorded the episode, but it was like July or August. I maybe even earlier that I said I was going to teach myself how to code. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just been doing that here and there for almost maybe six to nine months. I don't know exactly how long it's been. Um, but, uh, and I've taken big breaks in between, but I'm, I'm develop like, I feel really good on the front end now with basic stuff. And, um, what I've started doing in the mornings is, um, well, because I'm having to develop new workout habits, I'm developing sort of a routine where I ride my bike, my stationary bike for an hour at my stand up desk and watch, um, videos, um, to help me understand, I understand like the technical things and I can navigate, I can figure out how to do something in code if I need to do it. But what I, what I'm really struggling is the macro view of like how these different language, what is a programming language, right? Like I don't even, mm-hmm. what are the elements of a programming language? I, so I, I refreshed on that this morning and I just had a moment of like, Oh yeah, this is bringing it all back from the computer science days. Uh, you know, we, I went through like, uh, the difference between uh, specification, you know, uh, compilers, um, and, uh, you know, you know, how that turns into, you know, ultimately libraries and, um, even, you know, the importance of a runtime environment. And so that really went in that, that, you know, I understood, I understand HTML and CSS and JavaScript in that context, but now that I understand the macro around it, it's much easier for me to go look at like node.js as a runtime environment and understand like how it fits into, you know, the, the, the larger picture. Um, so anyway, um, it's, that's kind of nerdy, but like, I guess, uh, I really like this routine of just like kind of watching YouTube videos. And I just want to give a shout out to the people out there in, in YouTube land who take time to record themselves talking and explaining all this stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. It's incredible how much free information there is out there. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, one other thing is, um, I just wrapped up a tax call <laughs> with, uh, my, uh, CPA. Um, I've never had a, I've always had someone at the company who dealt with the CPA and I never really dealt with that. So it was, I, I hired a, C, C, a CPA from, for leg up ventures, which is the parent company and all taxes run through that for all the ventures that, that are going on. But, um, he, uh, we had our you know first like review call today and he told me how much I owe the government, which is, I've never actually, uh, the other thing I haven't ever experienced is, um, 
is paying taxes uh, mm-hmm. in a uh, in a business. We got Zane benefits and people keep to profitability, but before us, there was so much built up uh, loss, not op- not not operating loss, uh, which is what people call an NOL. That you can actually, because you accumulate that NOL, you can actually deduct it against your profit until you pay it off. So, so I, this is the first time I'll have to pay taxes for the business that I'm involved in. Wow. Congrats. I feel like that's kind of a nice milestone. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, so anyway, he, uh, he also, I also got the, I really like this guy. He, um, he helped me understand the, uh, home office deduction better. I haven't been deducting or reimbursing myself from the home office that I'm using in our condo. Mm, yeah. That can be big. Yeah. And it's like, wow. I, I was scared to do it because I didn't really understand it and don't want to get in trouble. And he was like, dude, why aren't you doing this? And let me explain to you how you do it. And I like he's already filing the taxes and he gave me that little tidbit. I'm like, man, CPA is worth it. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder if I should do that. I used to do that back when I worked entirely from home and then we got an office. And so like I still have a home office, but I don't really get a meaningful amount of work done there. So I stopped deducting it. But like this year, you know, (laughs) I'm spending a lot of time in here again. Yeah. (laughs) And even like remote companies. Uh, what I what it made me realize is r- remote companies can reimburse their employees for that, like the percentage of their rent. Um, I, I would, I wonder if remote companies do that, like as a benefit, like, hey, you know, you should have a home office, and we will reimburse you for the percentage of your rent or your mortgage that and your utilities that uh, cover that space. Yeah, just to get it tax free, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's a windfall for the company in terms of avoiding payroll taxes, and it's a mm-hmm. great thing for the employee in terms of you know, avoiding both payroll and, uh, you know, income taxes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, cool. That was a win today. And then I, I you know, I, I hesitate sharing this, but I want to share it just because I've spent the last uh, week, um, talking to some people, uh, about helping, figuring out a way to help the people who have been laid off, um, that are in the, uh, technical kind of like the, uh, knowledge working space. Um, I, I want to help. I don't really have an avenue to help, uh, people right now through the coronavirus. I feel like there's plenty of people going after the mass problem. There's people, plenty of people going after the testing problem. Not that I could help with that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've been wanting to help and I, something about like walking down the street and doing like the, like very simple things just doesn't appeal to me. I, it needs to have like I don't feel like that uniquely uses my skill set. So I've been in search of something and I, I feel like there's a no code solution to like matchmaking right now where you take the laid off crowd and you figure out a way to like sort of validate their skills um, and, and pull them together. There's a huge difference between someone who's been verified as laid off versus, you know, who doesn't have a job or has been fired for performance reasons. And then, you know, also on the other side of that market, of that match ma- matchmaking, um, identify the companies who have, you know, verified our hiring, verified our, our pa- you know, fr- frozen or verified have done laid off, layoffs and help, you know, f- match the people who truly have been laid off with the people who are actually hiring mm-hmm. and, and create some efficiencies. Um, I, uh, I, I just don't haven't seen many. I found one company called uh, GetSilverLining.com or SilverLining.com, something like that, up in Seattle that's doing something similar. But I, they lack a, like a, a regional focus. I think this is a 
for this to work, it has to be sort of geographically like hyper-focused. Um, you, you know, having a bunch of different people across the U.S. and a bunch of different employers across the U.S. isn't very useful unless you concentrate, have concentration. I mean, the UI has to let you filter to your region. I don't think it has to be like this site is only for this region. Fair, fair enough. I guess uh, until you have concentration in one area, it's not as useful to the to either side of the market without that concentration. So they're going to they're taking a a broad approach, which I guess one opportunity would be to bring that to Utah and be the advocate for using this in Utah. Um, maybe that's what I should do. But anyway, I I have talked to a few people. Maybe if I if, if I I'm trying to find someone who's already doing this and figure out how to help them, but. I haven't really found anyone who's doing this in Utah. I've definitely seen things on Twitter of people who are keeping track of like companies that have done layoffs and all that. I I don't know that I've seen the matchmaking with the companies that are hiring as much. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, the people I want to help are the people who have been laid off. Yeah. Now, I know you said there's a difference between being laid off versus being fired. Pretty soon, probably this is already true, like the number of people who have who are unemployed, not due to layoffs, will be kind of dwarfed by the number that have such that that might be less of a concern than it normally is. Mm-hmm. Like the number of unemployed people has, what, 20 X or something in the last few weeks. Yep. Which is crazy in its crazy. own right. But <laughs> all right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, keep us posted on if if that goes anywhere. That's interesting. I, I feel the same way you do that. Like I, you kind of want to help, but it's like I, I'm not a doctor. I can't, you know, I don't have any test tubes to whatever the fuck they do to <laughs> do medicine. I don't know. And, and maybe this is just wasted effort. And the best way I can help is focus on leg up health, create a job or two as soon as possible and, and do it that way. I, but it feels I'm having trouble uh, convincing myself that that's truly like altruistic versus selfish. So yeah, that feels like the good old capitalist, like, <laughs> you know, Oh, well me making money is good for the world. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, well, um, what about you? Um, so I, w- I wanted to follow up because two weeks ago we talked about the remote culture stuff, stuff we can do at Less Annoying CRM being remote. And uh, I wanted to kind of give a shout out to you because one of the suggestions you said it was a minor one, but we were celebrating people's birthdays. And you said, like, instead of just making them a digital card and giving it to them, we should set up a little quick video chat and have everyone there and wish them a happy birthday and have them there, like see the person's reaction as they read it. So my birthday was last was on Monday. So we did that and it was great. Like just having, it was a five, 10 minute chat. It was like super easy to put together and it just made a world of difference. So a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Good idea. But also like my main takeaway from this is uh, like culture is so subtle it's not like you have to do all this incredible work. You just have to find tiny little ways for people to connect with each other, you know, not even once a day, necessarily once a week. And that makes so much of a difference that it makes the problem feel a lot more uh, attainable or or the solution a lot more attainable to me now. Interesting. So it's just like creating these moments, um, you know, ideally daily, but is, is, is as few as once, you know, one time a week. And, that, that lets people see each other's humanity. Yeah. Yeah. So our plan right now, another thing you suggested was do little AMAs. So we're going to do, we're going to do a, a weekly lunch, break into four or five people uh, groups. Anytime someone has a birthday, which there's 17 people. So every, you know, one and a half per month or something like that. 
And then just like an AMA occasionally, a virtual happy hour occasionally. And see, the idea is a typical person should have something like three interactions with other people that are not about work throughout the week. And I think that's really all it takes. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, and actually one other thing we did that I, I don't think we talked about, but it came out of a different discussion I was having was in our weekly meeting, we always go around and give up. Everyone gives an update on what they're working on. We This week we said, you also have to give, I don't know why this name, but a rose and a thorn. You have to say one thing that you're happy about and one thing you're like that you're unhappy about or something. And so it took an extra 10, 15 minutes out of the hour, but like the amount of connection I feel with everybody, it, that was another really big one. So yeah, I just think these little tiny things will add up. To Ro- the Ro- it, yeah, I love Rose Thorn. It's, it's actually, Ro- I think it's Rose Bud Thorn or Bud Rose Thorn um, mm-hmm. or Rose Thorn Bud. The Bud is really important because it's it's what you're looking forward to. Oh, you might want to add we that one. Do that. Yeah, you might want to add the bud. Um, the bud is the interesting one because it gets people thinking about the future. Um, but yeah, I I tried I tried that as sort of like a morning sort of reflection process. Um, I've iterated it to my own needs, but like, yeah, I love that concept. It's a great yeah. analogy. Cool. Um, so yeah, that went really well. Um, I was kind of chatting with you before we started recording here. I've been investing in a, a nicer home office setup, which I'm really happy with. Like, I'm. I should have done this a while ago, but my office, uh, my I'm, my desk is in my guest bedroom. There are no windows. It's just dark. So I bought two lamps. Like I should have done this a year ago. Now that I'm spending all day in here, I did it. And it's just totally changed things. I got an external webcam. So instead of looking at my tiny laptop screen, I'm looking at a big monitor. I set it up so I'm using this podcasting mic as my mic for all my conversations instead of like this crappy headset I have that's uncomfortable. So just like in general, if I have to spend four hours in video chats in a day, it's way more comfortable. It's it's not as good as in person, but it's a lot closer to it now than it was a week ago. So that's, again, just little, little changes making a big difference for me. That's awesome. So you did a boom. Uh, what, what, what are you specifically doing to improve your... Um, so I ordered a boom arm for my mic, but I don't actually have okay. it yet. W- what I used to do is this mic that I'm using here, I only used for the podcast. And so I would like get it out from my drawer and plug it in for the podcast. But otherwise I would use a headphone with headphones with like a little, you know, microphone attached. Mm-hmm. Um, but the headphones were uncomfortable and I just don't like wearing them. So what I did is I just set up this good mic. I just did some tests. If I set it up, there's a place I can put it on my desk where it's always picking up my voice. I don't need to move it. And it's much better quality for the other person and I tested, it doesn't get any echo or feedback if I just use my speakers. So I'm not like, I'm using a headset right now because we're recording a podcast, but in a normal uh, meeting, I just have a good mic, good speakers, a good webcam. It just feels like more like the other person's there and I'm having a real conversation rather than like I'm on a phone call. That's great. Yeah. Love it. I, I, I'm Sable when she first came home, she didn't have a, uh, really a desk to work at. She had a, she's, she's into book binding. So she has this like, mini miniature desk that's like with a stool that kind of looks like the you know, <laughs> old guy binding a book in the you know yeah in the 1800s but um you know she, we, we did get her a desk and then uh we she was sitting in my old chair which is like the most uncomfortable chair she deserved to be in the trash because i've literally worn it to, you know worn it through um but i ordered her a desk and she got kind of mad at me because it was expensive um but uh i'm sorry a chair i ordered her a, chair, a new chair and 
when it you know when it got here she was like mm. i got she's she's been sitting in it now for two weeks the other day she was like thank you so much this is making such a difference it's so hard to spend money like that on things um but when you when you like look at it in terms of you know cost per use mm-hmm. it's so the cost is so low and like anytime you're looking at a big expense like if you can turn it into cost per use the reason i don't buy a boat um, is because my cost per use is so high living in Lake James. I'm mean, living in uh, Utah. Whereas if I lived in North Carolina, my cost per use would go way down because lakes are so much more accessible. You can buy you know, property on a lake. And so like, uh, yeah, like your use has gone up of, on your remote workplace, uh, in your remote, you know, environment and you gotta, it makes sense to invest in it. Yeah. And especially, I mean, cost per use especially makes sense for a chair or a desk. Those things are not going to get outdated. I, not that I didn't end up spending anything on my webcam. I already had it lying around. But like with technology, it's a little harder because it's like in two years, is this thing going to be outdated? But yeah, totally. Um, yeah, cool. Um, and then I've, I, just a couple other random things that have been on my mind. I've started kind of thinking that this whole like remote work thing is it's unclear to me how bad things are going to get surprisingly like our, our sales started dropping right when the COVID-19 stuff got really bad, like a month, a little over a month ago, they leveled off and have actually picked up. Like we are doing okay. Now we're still net negative. Like we're losing customers, but we're, we're pretty close to break even. Um, so I, I think maybe the bottom, like all the money the government's pumping in is maybe propping it up. But at the same time, I think that it's going to be like this for a lot longer than a lot of people think. Um, just the more and more I read, you know, doctors and scientists and stuff talking about like, like how vaccines work, for example, a vaccine doesn't necessarily mean this thing goes away like entirely, right? It's possible that there's a lot more that we have to have mitigation steps even after things like sort of go back to normal. So I've been putting thought into that. Like, what does that mean for the business? Like, what if for the next five years, we don't really have the same everything unlocked the way it was. What does that mean for the office? What does that mean for our product strategy? I've just kind of been trying to put some thought into that stuff. And what have you come to? Um, so for the office, one thing is uh, no decisions at all. This is super pre- preliminary, but like normally we're in an open office and people can go to these private offices we have. We have enough private offices for everyone to have a dedicated one. Um, some of them don't have windows, which sucks, but one thing is maybe we just say the open office is gone. Like your desk is in a private office. That's your personal office. I, my understanding is uh, forget COVID-19, just normal winter, cold season. People get way sicker in open offices. Um, just like stuff like that, that wouldn't prevent it from happening. But if there were a little outbreak before St. Louis catches it, it would, it would reduce the odds of it spreading throughout the office kind of. Um, from a product standpoint, I guess what I've been thinking of is, you know, we make a CRM. CRM is primarily used by salespeople. What are some things that salespeople won't be doing in this world? Shaking hands and exchanging business cards sounds like one of those. So it wasn't high on our list, but like building a business card scanner is something that we were dabbling with. I don't think that makes any sense right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've just kind of been thinking it's possible there will be a lot of old school businesses that have to transition to online pretty in a pretty like quick I wasn't anticipating this sort of way so I've been kind of just think I don't have any concrete ideas but like if you take your traditional business that wasn't operating online and they're like trying to figure out what to do 
a CRM is potentially in a good position to help them make that transition. Yeah, totally. Especially a simple one for those people. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of stuff we're already going to do, like invoicing, for example, like, oh, you used to charge people with, you know, they would hand you a check. Now you send them this online invoice and they pay that way. But more stuff like that. I think when, you, when you do the online invoice, are you going to integrate with Stripe so that you can collect payments on their behalf? Yeah, that's the that's probably not the first iteration. The first iteration is just like we generate the invoice and it's just a PDF. But down the line, we would want to uh, accept payments. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. That gets me excited about your business. Yeah, I, the thing I'm I'm getting really excited about with invoicing is it gets us closer to the money. Um, yeah, you're moving like, upstream, right? Which. Yeah, if someone I've I've been listening in podcasts like which which SaaS companies are doing well right now and which ones are doing poorly, you cannot cancel the product that is literally how you make your money. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good place to be. Yep. Yep. Um anyway, so that's probably enough updates. Um so for the deep dive topic, let me give one more update because it's going to lead into this, which is Eunice, who kind of is the main marketing person at Lesson Learning Serum, has been working on a campaign recently. We talked a few times over the last couple months about a marketing push we're doing at Lessening Serum to go industry specific. Um, this whole crisis kind of changes things for two reasons. One is the industry we were picking was travel agents. There is no travel industry right now. That doesn't mean we're going to totally abandon that, but do we really want to spend all of our effort going after an industry where literally no one's buying? But also just across the board, no one's buying right now or way fewer people are buying so it seems to me that marketing should really be about something else. It shouldn't be about converting you know, to, to customers right now. So the topic for today is how do you market during a recession? Like what changes compared to just normal marketing in the good times? And I wanted to talk about that with you. Um, so a little more context around this. Um, we have cut our marketing budget at Lesson Wing Serum a little bit. So it, we used to be spending about $12,000 a month. We've knocked it down to 8000 Most of what got cut was PPC, like Google AdWords type stuff. So we were, you know, someone searches for simple CRM, they click through to our site from an ad and they buy. That was just dying. Like nobody's doing that right now. So that was an easy thing to cut. It, it's not really affecting anything. Um, but we actually... We cut more than those $4,000 and freed up another, let's call it $3,000 a month that's currently unclaimed. Like we have the budget, but we don't know what to, we're dabbling with what to spend it on, but it's like, we want to, I don't know, get awareness or something like that, if that and makes sense. Yeah. What's the, where's the 5k that's spoken for going? We have a handful of marketing things that have like inertia, like there's a relationship to it where it's like, we don't want to cut that because like we have a marketing partner or something and we we if we killed it we would have to like rebuild that up from scratch which we don't want to do so that 5k is basically spoken for in a way that for the sake of this conversation let's just pretend it's not there what is there an act is there sort of like a a a medium or channel that it's that's also spoken for with that 5k that you're uh, a for? lot of it's a lot of it's going towards app directories. So like uh, G2, if you're familiar with it, and and Captera, they have well G2 in particular has a weird pricing model where you, at least the way we do it, we just pay once per year and it covers the whole year. So like we also couldn't we wouldn't want to cut it anyway because it's good ROI for us. But like we've spent that money, so it is what it is, you know. Yep. Um, but helps. and then aside from that, we have a few like 
websites we advertise on that it's still PPC, but it's more of like a personal relationship where we don't want to leave them high and dry during this hard time. Um, okay. Other context. So oh, I have one more question on the, on the budget. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Uh, how many, um, so like in terms of that's the cash resources you have, what headcount resources do you have? Um, and then what, do you have any like third parties that are engaged with you, um, that you could, that, that you could leverage? Right. Uh, I don't think really any third parties. I'd say for good or for, for better or for worse, we're a company that does everything internally for the most part, um, which doesn't say we couldn't change that. In terms of internal people resources, so Eunice is currently maybe spending a couple days a week, but once interns start in May, she'll go to basically full-time on marketing. Um, and then we have, call it three CRM coaches that are spending 20% time like they're not necessarily marketing experts, but they could write content or something. Like I, I would guess both of we have two CRM coach interns this summer. I would guess both of them will put their twenty percent time towards helping Eunice out with whatever. So think of it as like a full time person who has her head in the marketing game and is still learning, but like good instincts committed to this, and then the help of some talented but not really marketing people to kind of help out with content creation or whatever. Um, any other questions on that? Does that, no, that gives me the resources. Perfect. Yep. Cool. Um, and then, so I should mention like Eunice started something recently that maybe this is something we can build off in this conversation, or maybe you're going to say like, this isn't the right thing and we need to pivot. We're in no way married to this, but she started a, uh, small business tips newsletter, which is basically, uh, Asking our current customers, so we have a newsletter of people who follow our us for CRM news. It's like fourteen thousand people or something. It's pretty big, but it's not leads. It's primarily current customers or people who at least free trialed us at one point. She wants to take that, use their expertise to create more tofu, top of funnel type content to attract more people. So the current model is send out questions to our current audience to get their advice on. What's the best way? What, what are you doing to prepare your business for the upcoming recession? Or what are your top marketing tips or whatever? Put together pretty, I think, pretty decent content that's kind of aggregating their advice. And then try to promote that either is it SEO or what she's trying right now is like Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter ads. So much cheaper than PPC. It's not intent-based ads, but it's like drive a lot of traffic to this blog post and try and get people to sign up for a newsletter. Still very, very early days of that, but that's one thing that we're in the process of starting. Cool. I'd call it like basically aggregate general small business advice. Yeah, right. Um, but but doing it in a way that your customers are involved, which inherently has some word of mouth effects uh, built into it. Yeah. Although in a perfect world, what I'd really love is to get paid acquisition working here somehow. Um, just because now you don't think so. You got to give up on that. This well, I mean, is paid acquisition. I, when you say paid acquisition, I'm thinking like direct response. Like, um, you know, you're going to like have a, per, a, a controllable funnel. Not to get CRM customers, okay. but to get people like to the content to like, like I would call a conversion getting on a newsletter or something like that. Okay. So paid conversion on paid content conversion. Yeah, I mean, I everyone would love pure organic word of mouth growth, but the reality is this is boring content. Like, people are not sharing 
some people might share a little bit of this, but we all know the term are not now, like how a virus spreads. If we talk about viral content, our are not is less than one here, even if we make phenomenal content, I think so. Uh, like, Do you know that? Though? I don't know. I, we've tried to write a lot of content before, and I don't know. I look at it myself, and I'm just like, I, I wouldn't fucking share this. Like, it's, <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> well, maybe that's the problem. Well, just the topic is boring. Like... It's not about CRMs, but anything about CRM is super boring. Mm-hmm. But even general small business advice, I I don't know. I've I've struggled with this before. Like I think about the communities I participate in. I think the startup world has a lot of this. There's a lot of fetishization of how to raise money or like go on Hacker News and learn the tech hacking stuff. I have looked around. This doesn't exist for small businesses, really, I don't think. Like there aren't other people doing this successfully, as far as I can tell. Interesting. Which doesn't mean no one's interested in reading it, right? It just means it's not like, there's not a community built around it. I wonder, if, have you talked to your customers about, we're kind of getting the weeds here, but have you talked to your customers about where they hang, like in terms of uh, what would be their f- small business fetish for like, just <laughs> using the word that, that you used? Uh Eunice sent a survey out with that question. I have not looked at the results, so I'll ask her, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think we gained any huge insights from that. I do think what little of that th- that there is is normally going to be industry specific. So that's another thing here is should we just pick an industry and really go after it? Um, obviously, there's pros and cons here where the con is it's a lot more niche and the advice has to be more you you like that right yes like i don't think yeah, like yeah. so maybe um I, I i think i got us off tangent there but i i would love to cut like kind of answer that question once the full context has been set and I, I think one important piece of context in case um you know you went over this briefly but like you were planning to really get focused with your marketing efforts um with a uh, vertical uh vertically focused bowling pin uh normandy strategy and, uh, and, and testing that. And that was going to require you to spend some money. Um, it had, uh, you know, word of mouth within a, a small market segment uh, as its core hypothesis. You, but, but it was heavily reliant on um, in-person activity, especially events. Um, and, so, and it was also reliant, you, the vertical you picked was uh, a, 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 an industry devastated, right, that is, completely devastated right now not doing is it completely done for purposes it's on the great pause so and that's the travel industry travel agent industry so um i don't know like i i kind of so so i think you're coming at this and going hey we don't feel like we can go after that strategy um now that that strategy is off the table what a, what what should we be doing with our marketing strategy that seems like the right. larger conversation here that's the larger question yes yeah and um, what you're trying some things right now that I, I would say are more tactical. Like this is a one tactic that I would would I, I'd bucket this is foc- you know focus on. I guess the strategy would be general business advice, but the tactic here that I I think is really exciting is user generated content. Yeah. Yes. And and yeah, I do. I like the idea of pulling back and saying like, let's more broadly say what should the strategy be here because I will say it. We had a plan we felt really good about. We've talked about it before in this podcast. We devoted a whole episode to it. It got completely blown up. We just need to regather here. But yeah, I should say one thing here. The plan was get this user-generated content, 
the the goal is not necessarily that the newsletter that gets the content is the marketing channel. And so we get that content and then we can build a little hub of like a mini site or something about let's pick a niche, whether it's an industry niche or like a specific marketing topic or something and build a lot of content around that and then market that. And that's, and I, I, I like it as a tactic, but it lacks the strategy, like the outcome, the, the overarching like outcome you're trying to achieve with it that focuses. Okay. It. So, so let's like, back up then. Yeah. Yeah. Help I, me find that strategy. Yeah. So I guess, um, so I, assuming that there hasn't been a huge change in your thinking around the, the vertical concept and it being the right way to figure out how to grow this business predictably, um, then I, you know, I wouldn't ab- abandon that concept. I think uh, if, if not, if, if anything, like for me, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, but for me, like focus becomes even more important in a situation like this uh, versus less important. And what, what I'm seeing, like what it sounds like you, you know, if travel agents was specific, now we need to go even more specific in another direction. Like that's where I go. I don't okay. know. What are so, you, th- where, where are you, where I definitely have that thought as well. And I'm guessing in five minutes, we'll agree that that's what we should do, but let me yeah. try to push back a little. One thing has changed, which is part of the premise of why the industry specific thing made sense is this, this idea of an S curve where it gets easier and easier and easier to get customers until you start saturating the market. And then it gets harder and harder I'm not sure exactly what the impact of this is, but like, I don't think getting customers is the goal right now. And I'm not sure if that changes something that like, do we actually move up the S curve if we're not getting any customers? If we're just trying to do pure content, we're just trying to build awareness. Do, do, does it have the same type of momentum in terms of like getting a critical mass within this niche? And maybe the answer is yes, but I'm not sure. I think it totally depends on the vertical. So um like I don't, I don't know how many segments you could like, like industry segments you could segment your your base by, but there's got to be a segment in there that is positively impacted by the by a recession. Like they are anti-recession. Um, yeah, and that would be the one. Like those are the ones that I would put up on the drawing board and start thinking about. But I, and I guess like so that's that's how I would approach the vertical is like who is. Who, who is, who are, what group of customers that we like that fit, fit the ideal characteristics um, that are, that are, um, that were doing fine before, but now they're doing great and focus on them. Yeah. I'm looking through these, we, we have like lots of industries, but the, the ones that we like let people choose on our signup page are the ones we think are the main ones. Mm-hmm. None stand out as ones that are doing well right now. So like, Career services centers at universities. Universities are about to get hammered. Um, life and business coaches, consultants, financial planners, insurance manufacturing, nonprofit, real estate, sales, travel agents. Man, it's it's all the businesses who are decimated. Yeah, I mean, why some are that? more than others. Like travel agents are the worst. But why? Why is why is your why are you why are most of your industries, the customers you served in places that are ne- are more impacted than? I mean, I think the like you can describe the category of business that's impacted is how reliant are they on an in-person experience? And we sell to kind of old school, traditional businesses. Like every other CRM out there is selling to tech companies and stuff. So we're not even fighting over that. But almost all the companies that are doing well are online virtual type companies, I think. 
Yeah. So there's got to be something in there that, that has a increased need of a CRM with the same or, or greater demand. Like maybe the demand is, 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 is flat, but they're in the, the value of a CRM to them has increased. Like I go to career servicing, um, uh-huh. I like the career servicing people at universities, like that's still their job, right? Like that's like, people are still paying yeah, for I'll, tuition, but uh, a lot of ahead. them are getting laid off right now. Oh really? Like there are a lot of universities, they can't get rid of tenured faculty cause they're tenured. So they're furloughing mm-hmm. all these staff, which, um, Having said that, I, I agree with what you're saying. The goal here is not necessarily to convert customers right now. It's to say which of these industries will bounce back in a big way. And I want to have thought leadership or whatever. I want to have some kind of hook into them when that happens. That's that's a good way. So let's say you, you, you've you've ident- you, you ideally want a recession proof uh, entity, so you can do that now. If that's off the table, then you you want to go after the vertical that. Is most is going to bounce back the quickest so that you can return your marketing spend as soon as possible. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so we can real estate. Real estate seems good. Probably insurance. Hmm. I think. Yeah. If if not greater. Yeah. Okay, so let's just pretend it's one of those two. We're gonna we'll have an internal conversation, and we may pick a different industry. But high level here is pick a new vertical because your vertical got decimated. Yeah. And it's likely okay. not going to come back the way it came back. Yeah. Okay. So let's, and let's try to make this somewhat general so that also like listeners and stuff can say, I can apply this to my business and stuff. It's a recession. Let's just take for like, as an assumption, people aren't buying right now. The point is not to convert people to free trials of the CRM. What should we be doing? What should our goals be here? I think the goals are the same as, as the previous strategy, um, in terms of getting people talking about your brand and getting value out of your brand and associating your brand with a less annoying CRM, right? Like that when they have a need, so that when they have a need, they think I need a CRM. Oh yeah. That less annoying CRM company. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the part of the strategy we talked about, I don't know how this translated into your actual plan, but you, you kind of have to touch this to get to that point. You got to, you know, you have to hit, they have to hear you seven times ish. Right. And uh, so, so it requires a multi-medium approach. Um, it requires a consistent approach. Um, and uh, over time, uh, it requires a word of mouth approach, like, a, like hearing it from you know, all angles. So um, I don't know that that changes. Um, you know, it, it, where awareness is probably still the goal, but your expectations uh, are maybe uh, around uh, conversion. Not that you had any before, right? Like this is still a hypothesis. Um, whatever they were, they probably are decreased. It was and wasn't a hypothesis. Like all of these industries we're considering, we already have hundreds or thousands of customers in each of these industries already. So it was like, we could say we want an uptick in this. Not It wasn't zero to one really, but yeah. Totally. And maybe that uptick, that's what I'm saying. Like awareness is really the key here with some underlying assumption that sales over time will start accelerating in that vertical. I don't know that... Um, I guess I don't know. Um, I guess the, I guess the uh, expectation. I, I guess the expectation would go down on that. How f- how quickly that would? There are kind of two variables. One would be the amount of the uptick, and then two, how quickly the uptick starts to happen. Maybe you just push both of those back and down. 
This is a bit off topic, but can I ask your opinion on, so I agree we need to be more focused. I kind of are, I had a meeting with Eunice earlier today and we both kind of said that already, but um, a couple months ago when we talked about this with travel agents, you pushed back a little and said, industry is only one way to segment customers. There's other ways. Should we be considering a non-industry segment here? Do you think? Yes. um, Yes. But I do think the industry segment is important um, or at least uh, if people the, the maybe I should talk about why the industry segment is important and industry is not the only way to accomplish this. You want people who, for whatever reason, are going to talk to each other and run into each other. And in this case, virtually, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and continue to do so during a recession. So they need to have a re like you want to pick if you're going to segment um, based on say something else like uh, a geog- geography um, or uh, role. Um, you, you're going to want to have some variable um, that that has those people interacting with each other, um, you know, and talking to each other, so that you get that. Uh, hey, did you see that? You know, yeah, you did. You know that that sort of uh, side to side word of mouth. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like w- industry is probably the strongest one to do that. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's super, super helpful. I also if I can just meta commentary here, this is why it's so valuable to go to first principles and not just say, well, the start of advice is to do this. So I'm going to do this. But to understand why the advice is that because I was thinking, well, one segment or one like niche we could go after is a topic. We could say, like, we are going to be the the thought leaders on how traditional businesses go from in person to virtual. But and that could still work, I guess. But it doesn't have like two different businesses that are interested in that topic, there's no reason to think they're interacting with each other the way a geography or industry or finding a network like BNI, like those are the the whole point of niching down is so that you can get this kind of network effect within that niche. Right. Yep. And I'm thinking out loud here, but um, the other way to think about this, maybe outside of industry, which would be cross industry is uh, people who are involved in this, so a part of the same small business community. This could be a uh, you could like segment, and they, we're going to go after these industry, these group of industries who are a part of this chamber of commerce or this mm. or this um, small business association. And but it has to be something that they're actively engaged in. So like uh, and big enough to make it worthwhile. Is it important for the content to be niched or just for the targeting? Like, could we write a blog post about here's what small businesses are doing and say, we are just going to like plaster this in Phoenix and still get that kind of, even though the content's very broad, the marketing's very niche? I think that would work. I, I still, the marketing has to be, I think the content can't be boring, the B word. It has to be remarkable for this to work. Um, and however you accomplish that, it has to be remarkable to the people that you want to talk um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I guess it's first the focus on the people you want to be able to get and then be able to reproduce by running similar campaigns. But, mm-hmm. you know, the content I think is less important. The, the important thing is that the people that you're targeting find the content remarkable, not that it's specific. Okay. So let me back up here again. You're the, the kind of whole overarching thing behind what you're saying is that for this to work, it has to somewhat spread on its own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now I still think maybe there's a totally different approach, which is to say, we're going to run effectively like an ad campaign, like people, like a Facebook campaign or something like that. They come on and try and get them to see some content they want, subscribe to a newsletter and then nurture, drip, nurture them from there. 
which maybe doesn't need that as much, but that's like a whole different world. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've sort of, my experience at people keeping Zane benefits taught me that if you have a low ACV, um, it, unless you have someone who really knows what they're doing and can you can give them like a, a budget and let them test away at direct response and figuring it out, you're not going to, it's unlikely that they ever will figure it out. Number one, but if they do, it's going to take, it takes some talent and it takes a, a lot of uh, trial and error. Um, I, so I sort of just discount for your business, the idea of yeah. like, of, of that, of that fl- conversion happening um, with uh, a, a lack of a person who know, who has experience doing that on your team. But is it any easier to get like people keep was writing blog posts about like health reimbursement arrangements and stuff. Like how did you, did you actually get this to work there where people were sharing this within a niche? Um, people keep did exactly what I'm telling you not to do. We boiled the ocean. Okay. So, okay. um, one of the, now it works, but you hit, you start where people keep was and where I was trying to get it is exactly where you are right now. You've sort of tapped out on your organic growth rate and it's flattened and it's, it's, it's like, how do we get to the point where we're, we're growing again? Right. And the way we were trying to accomplish that was continuing to do the organic stuff, but then this element, uh, adding this element of referrals, both from our customers and from CPAs was, was the big push. And the reason the CPAs were special was because, um, a customer used their CPA in the act of offering an HRA. So we could in, kind of incorporate the CPA as a role into the platform and sort of have a one customer equals one CPA equals two more customers. Yeah. Um, and then the third was um, what I would call uh, uh, like larger ecosystem partnerships. Um, so, uh, for example, like partnering with a company like eHealth Insurance that has a lot of small businesses coming to their site and being their referral like vendor of choice for the the Paul used to call this backwash at Zane Benefits, but like like you know like the stuff that like they try to sell them group health insurance, they don't want group health insurance. Refer them to us. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, th- this is interesting because I don't know if you remember, like around the beginning of the year, I said there's really two marketing things we're going to do. One is travel agents. The other is affiliates. Affiliates. The reason I'm not talking about it isn't because it went anywhere. It's because the the recession has not hurt that in any way. Like Alex, our biz dev person, he's going out doing the affiliate thing. We've got. Uh, we've actually seen. We have yet to see the results of the customers coming in because there's a lag time, but like we have a lot of new affiliates coming in, a lot of interest, promising stuff going on. One take, like if you're you're talking about the CPAs, I think they're kind of the equivalent here. It almost sounds like doing a content marketing campaign to get the affiliates rather than to get the customers directly, which also has a certain appeal in this time of like if you're saying nobody's buying right now. Maybe build, that's the perfect time to invest. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, it's also hard, though, because the affiliates, we can't really promise them any revenue. It's like, good luck selling this right now, <laughs> you know? Well, I maybe I actually, no, I like the affiliate approach because it's it's getting focused. You've kind of already got the organic thing figured out, and you'll continue to hone that. You're not going to walk away from that, right? No, yeah. And we've lots of good stuff's happening there. I feel yeah. confident about that, yeah. Cool. So 
I think what, what you were planning to do was two things. Let's let's get let's see how we can uh, juice this via vert- a vertical marketing approach, awareness campaign, um, and, and then also how do we maybe we can increase our referral program through both optimizing the customer referral partner program and bringing on affiliates, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe this means maybe this recession just means you need to focus on one or the other. And right now, the more promising one is is the affiliate. Let's go. Let's go combine forces and resources and and make the most of that one and and you know fail fail faster um, and bigger. Yeah, it's both exciting and scary. The scary thing is it's one bet instead of two, and with marketing, most bets fail. So like, a part of me wants to place multiple bets, but to the point of like being focused and really going after something with meaningful resources, that's how you get it to succeed. And if it does work, it'll work a lot bigger if we have two people going after it instead of one. And you'll learn a lot faster and maybe switch switch to something new or, or pull res- redeploy resources faster. Yeah. So if we want to go after affiliates, and I think what that means... The, the, the model we've talked about before is basically business coaches. There are a lot of business coaches out there. They are in the business of giving advice to their network of customers. There's probably a lot of content that they're interested in reading and potentially even sharing between them. Writing content for business coaches. And what's great, business coaches are also customers of ours. So they're both customers and resellers. So maybe we go after them as customers, as the most direct CTA, but then that funnels into our affiliate program. Yeah. What if you just take your vertical marketing strategy and replace travel agents with coaches? Yeah. Which actually we considered, like that was one of the industries we thought about doing. Yeah. And, and then just, uh, you know, replace the in-person events with like, you've got to figure out what the new mediums are in this virtual environment, but just run the same play with a reduced budget. That's really interesting. That probably might've been a better, that might've been a better decision to begin with given that um, you have the affiliate approach going too, and those two things can complement each other. Yeah, that was the trade-off. We, we were kind of aware of this, that I, we th- I think travel agents are the better pure play. Like we're, It's the better thing to try to get to sign up for the CRM, but because of the affiliate thing, that knocks business coaches up to like roughly tied with them, I think. Yeah, but the, the cool thing about business coaches is you can leverage them in your next vertical strategy. So, mm. uh, like you, you know, you can fi- you, you'll be able to find the business coaches who have vertical focus, and then match that with your customer base, and then partner with the the coaches uh, to go attack the vertical. That's interesting. I also it fits perfectly with our model of asking people for advice. Business coaches want to build up their own credibility. They're going to love giving us content to publish so they're going to love sharing that with their customers yes (sighs) shit that's great okay cool i feel like that's enough for me to take do do you have like a few more minutes for me to ask one other set of things um i want to go back to the thing that you dismissed a little bit and you might be right but i want to keep it like we've been running a facebook campaign to this first blog post Eunice wrote and the numbers have not been terrible like we paid hundred and fifty dollars to get five newsletter subscribers which is if we if that's the best we can do that's bad, but if we could pay, what, what do you think we should be willing to pay to get someone on a newsletter? That's okay. This is the classic question that you get as a consultant, where you're like, I have no idea. Like it totally depends okay. on what but the value of a newsletter subscriber is to you, and I don't think you know the answer to that question. Oh no, we we absolutely don't. But you have to. I mean, you you start a marketing campaign not knowing any answers, so like you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So I guess um, you, it all starts with some assumptions. You start with okay, what's the value of a sign up? 
And what are you willing to pay for that sign up? What's your yeah, so target Yeah, so we would pay 150 to $200 to get a paying user of the CRM. Okay, so how many um, how many free trials do you need to get a, a paid user? Four or five. Okay, how many um, newsletter subscribers do you need to get? New newsletter yeah, subscribers th- this to get is a free the, this trial. This is the part of the funnel we have no idea, so that's where we're going to have to make a number up. Yeah. So I guess like one thing you could do is, is you could just focus on this one piece of content over time and run and just optimize the Facebook ads as best you can. And then just watch those cohorts to see if they convert to free trial. Um, my hypothesis is that you're going to probably need, gosh, I don't know. I don't know that space well enough, to, but I, my guess is that clicking on content on a Facebook ad um, and subscribing to a newsletter is pretty far away from a free trial. Yeah. So in terms of a buyer journey. So you might get lucky on a couple, but for the most part, it's going to be a year. And that assumes that your targeting is right and, the, and you're and Which you're is fine. The- I don't care about the time as long as eventually it pays off, but it does make the pose the problem of we can't measure what is the number. Yeah, here. You have to run it for so long too, and you could be misopt until you actually know. The only other thing you could do is um, to test this, and this is what I would do if I were you. As mm-hmm. I is I would run this test and I would be very aggressive about following up with customer interviews on the new, mm-hmm. new newsletter subscribers to, to validate that. to validate who they are or do some significant online research to see if they are actually ideal customers. Okay, one re- that makes a lot of sense. One reason I'm optimistic about this approach is because there's also anytime you do an ad campaign, there's what you can measure and then there's what you can't measure. And there is some benefit. And the, the further you are from the funnel, the more impressions you have to get to one paying customer. Um, so if we say like we need seven impressions with someone, it is a very, very cheap way to get lots and lots of people to see our name. Yeah. I don't know how to value that though. Yeah. So, so I guess um, I think this, so this is a, I, I would call that boil in the ocean. And um, I would, I, I would advise against that right now. You can always go to boil the ocean. What you well, want to f- do it specifically to a niche though. I'm not saying we have to do this campaign. Well, I think that you should be, well, I think that should, let, let's talk, go back to our life coaches conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And let's, let's have an affiliate push. Let's have a customer push on coaches. And then let's also have a, you know, as part of that push, let's have some social media you know, That's absolutely what I'm, yeah, I'm not talking yeah. about not tweaking it. I'm, I'm saying let's tweak ta- it to whatever the campaign sorry, is. Sorry, as a strategy, uh, as a broad strategy on on sort of expanding your organic, supercharging your organic reach across all industries without any focus, I don't love it right now. As a tactic within your niche strategy, it seems like a great thing to be doing. Okay. Gotcha. I might bring this up as a future topic of let's just not challenge that we're going to do this and just say, what is the best way to run just like we have content and we have other stuff going on and we're going to layer. I've never done Facebook advertising, Twitter, LinkedIn. I might be interested in just like diving a little deeper into that sometime in the future. Totally. And I, I, th- I think what's really important to have that conversation is a unifying outcome. So like it could be subscribing to the newsletter, like a certain type of, pr- of profile subscribing to the newsletter, or mm-hmm. it could be, um, you know, scheduling a call with Alex um, as you're like something that's up that's funnel. That, like if you, if you can identify as like, hey, we don't, we we can't do a free, tr- we can't optimize on a free trial. We can optimize on something earlier. I'd, I'd want to push past a newsletter because 
they're, they're newsletter people and then they're non-newsletter people. So I'd want something a little bit more tied to the act of buying. Um, Although again, we're kind of saying now is not a time a lot of people are buying. The act of engaging uh, with the value proposition, I guess. And, and so I guess... Uh, Maybe like MoFu content instead of tofu or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like that... And, uh, yeah, exactly. So down, like downloading a, how to make more money as a business coach or, you know, Hey, um, I'm interested in how I can make money with, with less annoying CRM. Um, let's schedule a call or, uh, or even, um, how, you know, downloading how life coaches can increase, um, their efficient, save time by using less annoying CRM as a business. Like if, if those, if we could get work backwards from those and, and sort of, uh, set those at the target and then evaluate later. Like the, we, we assume that X percent of the people who download that stuff will convert in some year. Let's go see if we can get X, you know, Y of those, um, mm-hmm. and uh, make Y the goal. And then everything, I think, you know, everything gets pretty straightforward in terms of testing the different channels on whether or not it's leading there. Okay, cool. Um, well, that sounds like a discussion for another day, but that gives us some, what I'll try to do, I'm going to send this recording to Eunice. That, by the way, I love this model. We record a podcast. I send it to whichever person at the company's running that thing. And then that kind of starts the conversation. So we'll talk about it, put some more thought into this. And then at some point I'll come back with a more specific topic on how to refine it from there. Cool. Any takeaways before we sign off? Yeah, I liked the way you you broke down the difference between a tactic and a strategy. Tactically, I think a lot of what we were doing was working, but we didn't have like, why are we doing it? It can't be all small businesses need to hear about us. Uh, we need to have a different, a more focused strategy. And I actually think you validated that a lot of the tactics we're doing might be good for that strategy, um, which is a big takeaway for me. Uh, I liked rethinking it's the, the point of segmenting or niching down is not just to have a smaller audience to target. It's to reach a group of people that will kind of self-reinforce your message to each other. Uh, so finding a niche where they are not connected to each other is worthless, which I may have fallen into that trap otherwise. Yeah, not not worthless, but um, less uh, you know work conducive to word of mouth. Yeah, and that that S curve thing doesn't apply if they are not interconnected. Basically, yes. yes. Um, those are probably my my two big takeaways. Did I miss anything there? I mean, I'll li- I'll re-listen to this and get other things. I'm sure. <laughs> my my only big one is that sometimes um, when you make a decision and you are forced to relook at that decision with constraints, um, you make a better decision. Mm. Uh, and I think like this might be a situation where COVID nineteen has forced you to make a better decision on your marketing that will return would be better for you in the long run. And I'm very interested to see if this plays out um, successfully because um, you might be going, man, I'm so glad uh, not, you won't be saying that, but like what, what if we would have maybe never figured this out had Mm -hmm. COVID-19 not happened? Yeah, that seems very possible. And I I think like, I don't, I I see it happening all over the country right now. This like catastrophe of COVID-19 is forcing people to like relook at how they're doing things that they weren't ever. Like curbside pickup. We should have had this this whole time. What the fuck? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And so it's, it's, it's in every industry. And it's like, how do you, I think one thing that I'd be interested in discussing at some point is how do you create those moments um, in good times so that you don't get stuck in these ways that, Mm. you know, are, are create like now we look at as crazy. That's a great topic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. cool. Well, have a good um, rest of the week, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks for all your uh, help here. I'm I'm Tyler. I'm in person. Tyler deprived. I'm used to having like a a week or something, and we were supposed to have a week at MicroConf, um, but uh, hopefully soon we can get together. Yeah, I'm I'm not holding my breath. I also want that, but I'm not holding my breath for soon being the the answer there. But <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge part in uh, helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. Um, and if you want to review past topics um, or show notes, visit startuptolast.com. Um, I'll see you next week. All right. See you.